1: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast, the podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. With me, Russell Giver, with my co-host Peter Marsh and with regular contributor Alan Dodd back with us as well. How are you, gentlemen?
3: Good, thanks, yeah. Excellent. Bye, Just about got yeah. back from Liverpool after an hour-long delay on Saturday evening.
1: <laughs> Which better than that <laughs> other trip to... Uh, yeah,
3: Liverpool, better that lot much shorter than when I actually went to Liverpool, it was like an eight-hour journey back, but still not great. It was free though, because... Of anti rail are so crap.
1: What, the, the, the Anfield trip, not the, um, No, the,
3: this one. No, we were oh, an hour really? and a quarter late on Saturday, so it was, uh, we oh, got brilliant. a full
1: refund. There's continuous free travel. That sounds like a great yeah. one. You know, Except on, like, you have to spend
3: the time on the actual train, sadly. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: there is that. Yes. Yeah. If it was at the station with a nice craft beer pub nearby, I'm sure yeah. you'd be complaining and you'd be funding your, uh, your, your drinking as well. Then wouldn't you with the refund? Brilliant. Anyway, there we go. Well, yes, you've been up to Everton. I wasn't there. Alan, I don't think you were there either. Were you for that one?
2: No, but um, I, I, I did manage to see most of the game on, on my iPad. I wonder how. I'm not sure. But it's, oh, it's, yes. It's, it's uh, you, honestly, know. you probably
3: yeah. got a better view than I did. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> the best view is not watching it i think <laughs> no um,
3: well arguably yeah
1: uh, in the interest it wasn't, of clarity, it wasn't
3: the best game ever
1: no i was gonna say in the interest of clarity i watched the 25 minutes highlights on sky so i've got a vague idea of um the details um and it'll be interesting to find your thoughts on this i think i've got my suspicions about a few things peter wants to discuss and um, we won't dwell on it for far too long we will be doing um a preview of the Ajax game for which all three of us will be travelling over midweek. Uh, we're speaking here on Monday, and this evening we have Michael Statham coming back on. He came on a couple of years ago. Uh, he's a Dutch football expert. I think he's a Villa fan from memory, um, but he uh, he was talking about us signing Veltman back in the day. I so it must have been three years ago now, Um, I think. And um anyway, yeah, it's going to have him on in part two. So part one is the review of the Everton game. Let's get straight to it. So a one-all draw. Um, we started with Verbruggen back in goal. We had Veltman at left back, according to Sky. That isn't driving me nuts at all. The fact they keep doing this. He never, <laughs> ever plays left back. Why do they keep saying he's playing left back on the graphics? Anyway, yeah, of course, Veltman at right back. Um, and then we had, um, Lewis Dunk back in and we had, uh, who was it also? Van Hecker. Van Hecker. Yeah, that's right. Gone blank for, for a minute. And James Milner, of course, playing in presumably at left back again. He was, yeah. Midfield with Grosh with um Lallana, Gilmore. Think, and Gilmore, yeah. And, Gilmore. and then up front we had, of course, Ferguson, who's done well against Everton in the past, and um it seemed like the sort of game for him. And we had um Adingra and Mitima starting in the Y positions. So that was the team. Um Peter, let's go to you first. You were there. Um overall impressions of the game, first of all. Um
3: it was a pretty poor game, to be honest. Everton didn't really have a great deal of ambition. And sat 11 men behind the ball, which as we all know is pretty limited, you know, in terms of entertainment and also not very, not ideal for us. They defended deep. They dug in. We struggled with our final ball. We had a lot of possession, 80% in the end, wasn't it? Which is incredible. But in all honesty, didn't really do that much with it. Didn't really create enough with it. Um, yeah, we didn't really, we didn't break the lines often enough. We didn't get it forward quickly enough. Uh, so we kind of just passed it around. To be honest, at times, quite a lot of times, it reminded me of the, the less good performances under Potter where we had a lot of the ball, but didn't really do much with it. And mm. Ferguson didn't barely got a touch, didn't really get in the game at all because he didn't get any service whatsoever and was taken off. And we looked a bit more lively when Yao Pedro and Fatty especially came on. They, they gave us a bit more, uh, a bit more quality up front in the final third, but. I think that was more because we were pushing forward, further forward, looking for the equaliser than it was any fault of Ferguson's, who just wasn't given the ball and was pretty isolated. Everton defended well, but it must be pretty depressing for them, to, you know, given their history to have a, a manager who plays like that. I mean, it's pretty unambitious, frankly.
0: Hmm.
1: And we've continued to struggle against Sean Dyche teams. The record continues. Of course, we had a handsome win up at Goodison earlier. Uh, well, last season, but, um, of course, that was under, um, previous mm. manager. And then they thrashed us, albeit with a tired and weakened team at the Amex. So, uh, the dice curse does to some degree continue again. Um, at least we didn't lose this time, um, to his side. Uh, but then we could have won it if you go on circumstances in the game. Um, quite need to go through the details. They got an early goal. Um, pretty, pretty disappointing. Uh, I think it was a what, it was a second or third bite of the cherry, wasn't it? Was it was an
3: element of a foul, I thought, on the halfway line when they won it back, a little bit. Went through the back a little bit. Certainly live. I'm not so sure it probably would have be been a bit a bit weak given it seeing the replay. But certainly mm. live. It looked like someone what was it Lallana or someone went down on the halfway line. All right. And when they won it back. And then from there, I mean they got every bounce of the ball, didn't they, really, from that point. I mean it could was deflected. The Verbruggen the, the made a really good save as he did early on from Decore as well and actually had a really good game I thought Yeah. and then yeah if Dunk doesn't deflect it and this is another frustration someone was saying on uh, well, I on the group earlier there's all this fuss about Young's deflection for our goal but no one mentions Dunk's deflection for their goal so it's like both goals were extremely fortunate
1: hmm. exactly yeah uh, very annoying um, we did get back on terms, or at least we thought we did it for quite a while. Um, fairly soon afterwards, I think only a few minutes later. Um, it was a Lewis dunk. Uh, sorry, it was a um, Pascal Gross free kick, really well delivered, uh, drifting over a crowded, um, set of players on the edge of the box. And, um, Lewis <laughs> stepped on and drilled one, an absolute corker of a volley in off the crossbar for a stunning shot, stunning finish, um, which was commented on at the time by the, by the commentators, as being a, a fantastic finish, deserving of, um, well, or saying it's an absolute peach, and uh, a deserving equaliser. They carried on talking about it as a, as a done deal, as, as an equaliser, for a while. And it's only after a while that the, it transpired a VIR check was taking place. And sure enough, after much deliberation, um, no lines shown on the TV coverage, or at least not the um, sky highlights that I saw, um, so which maybe made it a little harder to see. But it looked very, very... Very close. I think it might have been onside, personally. That's my opinion looking at it on TV, um, having seen it in the cold light of day. Um, either way round, very marginal. They seem to take a while to uh, decide. I'll get, Pete. I'll get your opinions on that from in, in the ground in a minute. But Alan, I think you wanted to interject, first of all, on
2: this one. Yeah, because I know Pete's got a lot to say about this, so I'll leave him to <laughs> have, his, have his say. But I just want I, I to say from my perspective, for the fact that I was... I was able to watch it uh, live on television, if you like. I mean, from my, my, my point of view, when Dunk scored that goal, I mean, I jumped up in the air and made a huge sound. And I, I thought it was a goal. <clears throat> you know, I had no I had no feeling it was offside whatsoever. The referee didn't think it was an offside. The linesman didn't think it was an offside. The Everton crowd didn't think it was a, a, an offside. And the Everton players didn't think it was an offside because they put the, the ball on the centre circle. So, yeah, as far as I was concerned, 1-1. One, one fantastic superb finish by Dunk uh, it, was, it was a really excellent uh move and uh fine and then all of a sudden the commentator said oh hang on VAR uh and I was completely sh- shocked um and the the angle that they showed on the television there only seemed to be one one particular view they were showing I couldn't see that Dunk was offside certainly not not to an extent where it would overrule the referee um, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was it was surreal to be honest with you, and it took a long time, which is ridiculous. Yeah, so that's really what I wanted to say on that. Uh, maybe Peter wants to elaborate on that from, <laughs> from his perspective from the crowd. But uh, I certainly felt from when, where I was sitting that I didn't feel that there was any kind of protest protestation from the crowd about where it was offside or anything. I think it was just accepted. It was off. It was it was uh, it was a good goal. So hmm. it was very strange.
1: Well Peter, if you if you want to and I know you have got plenty of problems. if you first of all, can you start with how long does it take? Because I, I've only seen the highlights. It so felt like
3: three and a half, four minutes, I think, probably, or something like that. I don't I don't remember exactly, but there were four minutes of injury time in the first half and that was pretty much all that happened. Hmm. I don't remember anything else really happening. So it was at least three minutes. So yeah, I mean this is where I actually agree when people say VAR should be scrapped, because why are we in the habit of disallowing goals like that for either way? Millimeters from Dunk's arm as well. The, what they're measuring from, seemingly on the replays, was Dunk's hand or whatever, which I thought was not. They're not doing anymore after that one where Bamford had it disallowed when he was pointing to where he wanted it. I thought it was from his armpit, but they, they're clearly not measuring from his armpit on the things I've seen, <laughs> which also then show that Grosh had already taken the free kick. It's not when he kicked it. Mm-hmm. They just—it feels to me like Mike Oliver was looking for a reason to disallow it, and it took okay. him three and a half, four minutes to find it. It shouldn't be, it should be the other way around. It should be, we're looking to find reasons to give goals, especially when they're so good and you know, like that. That, to me, that's not offside. I don't it's understand an, how you can give it.
1: It's anti football, isn't it, Peter? Yeah. Exactly what you said was what I was going to say. They seem, and not just with the Albion, with other games as well, they seem to be looking for reasons to cancel things. Surely the, the essence of football is to have goals, have entertainment, and obviously you rule it out if it's a blatant infringement of the rules or, or, um, it was disallowed under one one reason or another. But I think with marginal offsides, I mean, we've mentioned already before, I thought we were going to have this um, auto technology from the World Cup. Don't know what happened with that. Okay, yeah. if they're not having that, fine. If they're not having that, what they should be doing is looking at offside. I think, I don't even think they should have the lines. I think it should be an eye test. So the, the linesman looks at it. He obviously makes his decision. The referee goes with that or doesn't go with it. Then VAR, if they are still around, can then have a quick look at it and say, right, quick glance without any lines. So you don't have to worry about them failing to get the lines right and wasting even more time, which is what they did with the, the Burnley-Bournemouth game the other week, which might deem as congratulating them on, oh, at least we got the right decision. Yeah, but you spent ages getting to the point of being able to start getting the right yeah. decision. So, you've got the
3: same line. decision you would have got on the bloody pitch anyway. Exactly. It's not like they corrected anything.
1: But avoid the lines altogether and do an eye test. Make sure you've looked up and down to make sure you look for any players wayward on the edge and on the on the touch line, but uh, on the edge of the pitch. But essentially, look across and if it's not very clearly offside, don't give it. Go go to the daylight. Go to the benefit, the advantage, the attacker in the for the for the benefit of the game because I think football's about entertainment. Yes, you've got a yeah. rules. But there's no reason why a very marginal call, that's down to the, the, the risk of the defender, which it is anyway. And if there is a marginal call, that should be allowed to stand. If the if they just a quick eye test says, I think that's on side or I'm not sure. If it, if you're not sure, if you can't make a decision quickly enough with VAR, with or without lines, then it's not clear and obvious enough. It's as simple as that. The only the only exception to that, I know Alan, you wanted to come back in here, but just, just one final point from me. The only exception to that is, of course, if there are multiple things to look at. So the Newcastle-Arsenal game, there was actually three things they were looking at. Whether the ball went out of play, whether it was offside and whether there was a foul. So you can understand it a little bit longer for those things. But when it's a singular thing, the ball's kicked at this point, um, get the right point. Uh, is Lewis dunk offside? It's it's simple as that. Um, and if it's not clear, don't give it. Oh, if it is clear, give it straight away. Don't. Either way around, don't preamble, don't
2: take so long, uh, Alan. Yeah, I was just really just thinking about something as you were you were saying, really. And um, you know, if 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 you're asked to explain the offside wall to somebody, which I'm not going to try and do now, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I mean, essentially, you'll say, well, if if the player was actually taking gaining advantage by being in an ava- in an advanced position, you know, to me, these these marginal decisions, I mean, at the end of the day, Dunk did not gain any kind of advantage from the way he was standing. So to me, it's just it's just a joke. I mean, if you, were, as I say, if you were trying to explain the, the offside rule to someone who didn't really understand the game, to say, well, if you had your shoulder or your finger pointing slightly out, then that that's counted as an advantage, they would they would just laugh at you.
1: Yeah, I mean the the only thing that I could see was potentially offside is the part of the body which you're not allowed to score with, including the bits that we definitely were not allowed to score with at Tottenham, for example, Mitoma uh, goal. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't see there's an issue. The other thing, of course, the reason offside was introduced in the first place, right back in the day, was to avoid goal hanging. You know, that, which is fair enough because otherwise that completely changes the dynamic of football, and you would probably have a pretty dull match, I would imagine, because mm-hmm. it would just it would just be. Big, big blocks, both sides, or what, I don't know what. Um, so I can understand why the rule's there, but the rule isn't the, the spirit of the game. The the reason for the rule is nothing to do with this nitpicking that they're doing over tiny millimeters in games up and down the country. It's driving me mad. Peter.
3: Yeah. So a little bit of a rant, as you were probably expecting. Um, so I've lost all faith in BAR and Riveries and in the PGMOL and all of their, so. Yeah, that goal disallowed. Apparently, it was clearly offside from that point. Whereas, for example, the Fulham one last week, different incident, but not a clear and obvious error that he clearly elbowed. um, Yeah, apparently, you can now do that, though, because Bruno elbowed a thingy for Newcastle, didn't he, as well? So now you can basically leave with your elbow, apparently, in a game. By the way,
1: ref watch, Warnock and Smith. I don't like Smith anyway. I've gone off Warnock now. They both said that was the right decision, just giving a... Uh, 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 it's the wrong decision. it should have been sent off, and yeah. the yellow card wasn't acceptable. Well, last week you said that it was all right for Pascal Grosch to be assaulted.
3: Yeah, um, well, Warnock did, didn't he? You said Smith agreed with you, didn't he? Or did oh,
1: Smith, it, didn't
3: Smith yeah. agreed with us last week.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. but well, so don't... so basically, I mean, referees on the pitch are inept. So a few examples from the weekend: Decore pulls back Beltman, pulls yeah. him back, then kicks the ball away. Doesn't get a yellow card. Mm-hmm. How if, that's two yellow card offences individually he got past him he pulled him back and then he kicks the ball away and then yeah. later on gets booked for a, a foul on the issue of the area so he would have been a second yellow or he couldn't have made that foul and we might have done something with it you know mm-hmm. the, the inconsistency three or four times again at the weekend Everton kicked the ball away what's happened to the rule about kicking the ball away that the reverie at Wolves was so keen to do where we end up with about six bookings half of them for kicking the ball away one of which MC so passed back to their goalkeeper What's happened to that rule? Where's it gone? Because apparently... It's still there. In,
1: it's still there, Peter, but only if Neil Moore pays, warming up on the sidelines.
3: <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the only time I can think of it happening in the last, like, since that Wolves game. We seem to be the only team who've been majorly punished for it. Then, yeah, I mean, the additional goal, they should, I mean, to be honest, they should either scrap VAR or go or take it all... Or move to having non-referees do it because the referees have shown they're inept; they can't handle it. Michael Oliver's supposedly the best in the country, and all he can do is look for reasons to disallow Dunk's goal. And I'd change the offside rule as well. It shouldn't be millimeters; it should be a clear advantage, e.g., daylight like it used to be. Why mm. they changed that? If you're if you're part of use level, it should be no advantage. There's, so you so you should actually get away with it. We should be looking to try and encourage teams to score goals. If part of you is level with the player who, the defender, then you should be okay and not so offside.
1: By, by daylight, do you mean so, so his trailing heel as he's running off towards goal is beyond the, whatever the, the, the furthest back pole. I'm of saying
3: the-, the whole body needs to be past <laughs> yeah. him, which yeah. is what it used to be before they changed it and made it more complicated because mm. you should be trying to encourage to score goals. That was one of the, that's as I said, the, uh, the best goal Lewis Tunk will ever score and it's chalked off could have, petty bureaucrats being yep. arseholes.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And But I, I think- mean,
3: yeah, it's the inconsistency. Really this season it's been worse than ever and they just seem to be worse each week as well, referees. Mm. And they this you know, some some of the stuff that that wolves game, we basically got punished for loads of stuff which we now doesn't seem to get punished. Mm. And yeah, there was an example on Saturday when uh Fassi went through and it, I don't maybe it wasn't a yellow one and a half or whatever sort of thing, but the guy pulled him back when he was about to go through on goal. It's not a of fair reward for a basically when a player's about to go through in on the keeper, probably. Mm. Um mm. yeah. Anyway, we got a point. Could have been a lot worse. And a very yeah. fortunate goal.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Alan. Yeah, no, it's funny, you, you mentioned that Decori incident with um, with Pascal Gross because funny enough I was convinced that when Decori actually got his yellow card that he was he was that was his second that was his second yellow because It should have been. Because I, for some reason I subconsciously already assumed that he got a yellow for that previous yeah incident so i was almost poised with my thumbs on on my phone to try to put a a thing out on whatsapp saying second second yellow and then i just double checked and realized that actually he didn't get the yellow for that
3: arguably that one incident is two yellows on its own (laughs) You you literally pull back someone that's one yellow card and then you kick the ball away it's another yellow card
1: yeah, yeah yeah interestingly in the newcastle arsenal game there was um, another incident where i mean arteta was losing his rag about the decision of, over the deciding goal the only goal of the game but um there was another decision where longstaff i think it was um couldn't probably should have got sent off and i th- know uh, th- oh, the other way around was it i can't remember now um, the Havertz,
3: you mean? That, oh, have, sorry, you yeah, have it. It. yeah, it
1: was the other way around, yeah. The yeah. other way around, sorry, yeah. You, should, like, you could that. argue that would
3: improve Arsenal, though, if Havertz got sent yeah, off. probably would have done.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so why is Artista complaining? Because they got away with one there. But well, what was interesting in that game was three players who complained to the ref uh, were booked simultaneously, one after the other. Yeah. Longstaff, and I think um, Gordon, and uh, I can't remember who the other one was. But that was interesting that they are, they are applying that rule because you're not allowed to go. To approach the referee fast and aggressively, you're not allowed to contest it in any animated form, and you're not. And more than one of you doing going to the ref at the same time is deemed as another offence. So any of that is is what was basically related to this not surrounding the referee rule that came in at the beginning of the season. Peter,
3: again though inconsistently, so Gilmore got yep. booked for having a go at the referee when he clearly was fouled in the build-up to one of their chances. Mm-hmm. They then spent the afternoon surrounding the referee. I mean, Tarkowski is captain, but he was still in his face all afternoon because he's a, basically a thug. And yes. they had other players jump up and surround the referee and that sort of thing. Didn't book one of them. Yeah. So how is it that Gilmore gets booked and then their players are allowed to surround him three or four when their alleged penalty chances came up, which none of neither which were, but... You know, when they, for, again, as with all big t- physical teams, they went down very easily.
2: And quickly Tarkov, on, the, on penalties, Tarkovsky what? Was, yeah, Tarkovsky was uh, very prominent on the teeth on the television uh, coverage, actually. As, as always. always. Yeah. Particularly, in the second, in, particularly in the second half, he was constantly uh, either being told off by the referee or he was moaning at the referee or there's yeah. something going on in the penalty. I can't penalties.
1: stand him. I can't stand him. No, I
2: can't either. Yeah. yeah.
1: These penalties briefly on that, uh, before we round off part one, or at least the match side of things, uh, Peter, just on the penalty front, could you describe those? What you, what you First saw?
3: one was up our end, actually. So I saw it reasonably well. And that's I, nothing I, the guy looked like he went down quite easily. And I think it was outside the area anyway. Veltman kind of, they kind of collided almost, but I, I don't really see it as a, it was definitely wasn't a penalty. It might have, you could argue, he could argue it possibly might have been a free kick. But second one, I think Calvert Lewins backing into Van Hecker. As much mm-hmm. as, as Van Hecker is doing anything initially. And then because he backs in and, and fouls him, arguably, then he kind of almost gets away. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a penalty. Dice is, yeah. is looking for reasons to moan when actually the referee was pretty much <coughs> gave most decisions their way.
2: Yeah, actually, actually that, that first one uh, with, with Veltman, actually, he was, he was actually pushed, pushed onto the player. If you actually mm-hmm. look at the incident, he was actually pushed by one of the other defenders. I'm not sure who it was. So he was falling over and actually fell onto the other player. Uh, to knock him over. Yeah. Hello. Oh. So yeah, um
3: so we don't think either of them are yeah, I think are penalties. No. No. Um but yeah, it's uh I just yeah, Dive Shot as always moaned about referee and he's in his gravelly voice and getting yeah. He's I an asshole like as well. Just, he sums I up like him. Him.
2: Hmm? Yeah, I just don't like him.
3: Either. No, I don't either. It is, and his teams are always effective, but doesn't mean they're nice to watch. And frankly, I, I'd be embarrassed if I was an Everton fan. I mean, you literally play at home to a team who you regard as historically so much lower than, lower than you, so much below you, and you get 20% possession. That's yeah. embarrassing to me. I mean, you say like, the way they played, yeah, they created a few chances, but that's mainly because we were pushed up and, you know. But I thought that um, for Bruggan played well, I thought Van Hecker had a really good game yeah. And Dunkey. No one further forward really did enough to get... I mean, like people would say about Mitoma, but to be honest, I thought it was a pretty poor cross for the goal. It, was, it wasn't, you know, he did well to beat his man, but actually he hit the first man and on another day yeah. that would have been blocked out or whatever or... or it, but yeah, it just happened to freak, freakishly kind of deflect off young.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, if it was, you know, say watching it on the TV, I mean, we were playing some lovely, unique football around, but it wasn't doing anything. Yeah. It, it, was, it was actually... Normally when you see those kind of games with a high possession, you feel as though we, you know, occasionally we do actually... Break the lines and do something, but this time it was got a little bit embarrassing, actually. and I, I found it a bit embarrassed. So I was talking to some people at work today and, uh, and they didn't actually watch the game, but they were, they were kind of alluding to that kind of thing that they have noticed up with Brighton in the past. You know, it's fair enough knocking the ball around, but uh, you know, it's having all that possession. Yeah,
3: it felt,
2: and I couldn't defend it really. Uh, no, I, I...
3: I don't think we intended to be like that, but, it, yeah, I think we were just trying to get the kind of chance to break the lines. But Everton, to be fair, to them, defended pretty well, but it's not that difficult to defend when you put 11 men behind the ball. You know, it's it's quite a simple game that you just, you know, kind of, it's quite hard to break through. And I I do think, and I think Deservey alluded to it, we should have shot more. And I do think we've been discussing on the groups about missing MC So, and I think that's where we really do miss him because he's one who can shoot from long range and has done. And then you got always got the chance of a, Deflection, then, or a you know, kind of you know, something kind of uh, yeah, like, like we do up for the goal, obviously, but up from across, but from a shot as well. And we need someone who's willing to take, take a shot from long range to kind of cover, but we don't seem to have got people who are willing to do that so much now. And yeah, Deserby said after Fulham that we didn't build up quickly enough, and we didn't again here as well. So I don't know yeah. what you can't keep saying that and not he needs to be taking the blame for whatever we're doing as well. With The number of times we had space, a little bit of space on the wing, but didn't use it with the Dinger out wide, especially.
2: to take some shots, some early shots, and yeah. keep keep them on target. Not like the uh, some of the ones we've seen with Belaber. And, yeah, I mean,
3: well, well Dunky uh, did hit the target from a free kick, but there's a lot made of Pe- Pickford save then, But actually, it was pretty much next to him.
2: Yeah, and then uh, there was. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not keen on the the dunk free I don't
3: kicks, know. Yeah, but. I don't know why he keeps the only free kicks he's ever scored were the ones where the keeper's been in the wrong corner. <laughs> I don't understand yeah. why he keeps taking them. I know he's yeah. getting a bit closer, but surely there's someone like Mittermer or or Solly when he was fit or Pascal or someone like that. You know, someone who could take a better free kick than, than the centre back.
2: Yeah, you've probably got, to, you've, got to, you've got to get the the keeper to think about where, where you're actually gonna be placing your free kick. I mean, I think just the way that uh, Dunk lines up, I mean he's gonna hit it that direction. I mean Pickford knew it was gonna go that way. I mean
0: Yeah.
2: Obviously you have to be yeah. Quite quickly, but uh, no,
3: exactly. I, yeah. And he, he didn't have much to do, he was quite near it. And mm. uh, it's just frustrating because it's we're wasting good opportunities. And yeah, I would have thought Pascal or Pascal or um Carew would have been obvious ones, yeah.
1: And um, on the, yeah. Uh, the the Everton game, um, the the goal we did score, well, the other goal we scored, uh, the one Mittimer's deflection went in, uh, good ball over from it was Lenana, wasn't it? I think it was the
3: hood Lelana was hood? off by then.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, of course he's gone off, hasn't he? I couldn't see who it was from the highlights. They didn't actually describe who it was. So it's-, it's a lovely, was yeah, a lovely pass. Yeah, Great. It book. was,
3: yeah. He, he looked quite bright when he came and I thought he looked brighter against Fulham as well. He, I think he, yeah, he, he may be one who's starting to move forward. Yeah. He's obviously got, yeah. you know, a good pedigree.
1: I think he's, he's good. He's a silky player. He's a, a an elegant sort of player, isn't he? Maybe some would say lacking a bit of, it might be a bit lightweight, but I think he's finding his ways, finding his feet. He, he
3: needs labour alongside him, I think probably him and yeah. Gilmore and Grosh probably bits too alike. And there isn't really the player to get stuck in in the middle.
1: Yeah. He's great. I mean, his greater fitness is going to improve him, isn't it? I think he's probably, he's probably toning up. He's probably getting match sharp and all that stuff as well. And, um, you know, I think he's going to be a, a key player, I think this season. Um, Obviously, the other good news, by the way, our, uh, our Dutch football expert who's supposed to join us for part two is running a bit late. So we'll, we'll tra- we'll go on to the other subjects we we're going to cover, actually. Um, I was going to say the, um, uh, what was it talking about to who? Um, Modder. Modder. Yes, Modder. Um, uh, Modder, um, obviously is another midfielder that we'll be looking to utilize. He's coming back to fitness, thankfully, at long last. There's other players I can see. So, and it's the Pinyan who we're waiting on as well, of course, further down the line, but, Moto started to play a couple of games for the uh, in the youth levels uh, to get some uh, match fitness. Um, looking good, I think. Alan, did you see the under 19s game on Friday? I caught a bit of it, but not not a great deal, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I watched a, I watched a little bit. It was actually I think I'm not sure if it's still on YouTube, but it was on YouTube the the, the, the entire game, so you can yeah, watch that, the full 45 minutes. I did went... watch some of it. I did sport some of it, and he, I mean, he he, he was getting stuck in. He wasn't standing back, so he's kind of uh, he's 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 getting involved. I mean, I I must. He'll have some
3: height, won't he? Because he's like he's like six foot three or whatever. In midfield, he's
2: a big he's a big unit compared to the. Yeah, we need we need some height
3: in midfield. Yeah,
2: yeah. But of course. But but the funny thing was, I mean, I I, I, I'm feeling like uh, I probably what my mother used to feel when she used to watch me playing sport. You know, kind of worrying all the time that I'm going to I'm going to hurt myself. I'm I'm sitting there, I'm just hoping that he's going to get through the game. and Nothing's going to happen, which is. uh, which is uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. we'll get over that because there
1: is obviously... the, the old age-old adage as well of are they going to be as good as sharp? Or, yeah. Are they psycho- Well, obviously the psychological thing doesn't have yeah. like a problem, but the yeah. other issues are: are they going to be simply as good as they were before? Um, I guess we'll never know at this stage, but um, hopefully we'll find out. Yes.
3: There is a, there. So there is a Twitter rumor that he might be involved on Sunday, but oh, it's well. only a, only a Twitter rumor at the moment. So who knows?
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that will be uh, interesting, and I mean, it's obviously it's a bonus to get him back in any shape or form. Yeah, it's we great.
3: can't expect too much from him initially. He won't. No,
2: no. no I think probably. it's actually
3: an era we've got a few players in as well, unlike the wings, for example, and yeah. fallback.
2: Hmm. I think I, yeah. I think we're going to lose believer aren't we? Uh, next. Yeah. Uh, January, what, February, February time for the African Nations, Nations, Nations Cup. Nations
1: yeah so, uh, that's right and um is there an asian cup on as well
3: yeah there is as well yeah. we going, going, is yeah. going to go as well so our two fit wingers will be going <laughs> in for the uh the african yeah. nations cup and asian Cup.
1: hopefully and will be back by then i know well, yeah so see he's see. not
3: a winger either he's better in the no, center yeah.
1: yeah um
3: stop but, playing wingers start yeah. going, to, going to three at the back and just play wing backs
1: yeah we know, we know Solly's not going to be that. That's the main problem. Yeah.
3: And Tarek, presumably, be if he's fit, will be, uh, in the African Nations Cup. I assume Garner will be there.
1: Yeah. I guess so. I'm assuming so. But
3: even fewer wide players than we currently have.
1: Yeah. It's absolutely nervous, isn't it? Um, but well, we need to keep fit who we do have. Um, Evan and maybe
3: bring in one or two signings in January as well.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Um, Evan Ferguson on the rest of them—we've got to, we've got to wrap them in cotton wool or do something. I don't know what. Yes, there's, um, no,
3: there's been no news about Welbeck, has there? After, no,
1: yeah, it's uh, gone very quiet. Cool. No pictures. No. It values. was just the press conference, wasn't there, from Deserbi, which said that uh, both um, both players were going to be out for the long time, whatever that means. Yeah. To um, obviously, I mean, we mean, sorry, that.
3: you assume at least a season, judging by what you've heard, but there's been no mention of, of Welbeck at all.
1: No, we haven't even had formal clarification that it's a hamstring, have we? Although we, no. I strongly suspect it is, but those can be, as we've seen before with, was oh, with Tarek, wasn't it? That we've, those, those yeah. can be long layoffs, uh, depending on what the nature of the injury and whether you get a setback on the way to recovery. It's what happened with him, I think, as well, all that kind of thing. Um, well,
3: yeah. I mean, Tarek was injured in a warm up the other day, wasn't he? supposedly? or yeah, didn't, mm. it wasn't on the bench in the end.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we've also going to have time to talk about the women's game. So we haven't mentioned that for a while. So we'll come on to that in a second, but one other bit from the men's for- senior. Name to talk about. And um, one bit of good news is that, um, Jason Steele has signed a new contract. He's, uh, the latest one to add his name. I think it's a two year deal, isn't it? Three, taking, yeah. three year. Is it three years? So it's taking, yeah,
3: 2026 20, or 20, two and a 20, half 20, sort of thing. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 Which is good. Yeah. Split the difference, <laughs> which is great stuff. I mean, it's an interesting story. He featured on Football Focus this week and it was, it was really interesting to hear him talking because he was at Sunderland. He was involved in that time where they had the, uh, the TV program about and they were a total and utter mess. Um, and he was uh, one of the, or well, depicted as one of the villains of the piece, you know, not not doing well, um, struggling, being a kind of a Northeastern lad as well originally. You know, he seemed to have taken the burden. And um, he was in a bad place, I think. He was quite, quite pretty down about his football. Um, I think in the interview, he mentioned that he was kind of on the verge of thinking about giving it up. And um, he was, you know, he he just, it, his decision to come to Brighton, he just wanted a, a change. It was, it was a, enticing offer in general just in terms of you know the the club and what the project is as they like to say um but i think of a fresh change and it not being about money or about anything particularly lucrative to do with the contract but more about just being able to get into a good club where you might be able to just reset himself and then slowly build himself back up is what he wanted. Obviously, he came in as a number two. He had to bide his time for quite a while. We won't talk about the whole Sanchez behaviour when he eventually got ousted uh, um, in in place of uh, steel to come in in his place. But um, uh, it's been a good story, is not it? He's really battled back from nowhere. I don't think he was ever very highly rated um, at any one club. No, he he wasn't.
3: The irony is that... The player who he was, he and David Button were signed the same summer to oh, compete sure. ostensibly because they were homegrown keepers, I think, because they wanted to. Yeah. Ryan was pretty much certainly number one at the time, but important. Button was seen as a better option and bit as number two and played numbers number two and as number three. Button is cow currently playing for Reading, who are bottom of League One, yeah. while Steele is playing for in a seventh place in the Premier League and in the Europa League. Yeah. I mean, it's you couldn't really make it up, could you? But yeah, yeah. I mean, Sunderland. I, I, yeah obviously when he was at Sunderland it was obviously toxic and it's mm. almost like players don't respond well to toxic environments when they're dumped in them you know who'd have thought it
1: yeah but he's settled down I think he's moved down and he's sort of settled in the area and of course he's sharing uh, number one duties with the uh, you know basically they're both number ones aren't they in, in terms yeah. of yeah I think way. I
3: think we all know Verbruggen will become number one mm. in you know over the next year or so he yeah he had a really good game at the weekend He's mm. stro- He's bigger. He's stronger. He needs to maybe develop exactly the kind of passing game that Deservey wants because his distribution is clearly good, but he hasn't quite picked up the kind of distribution yet. But his, his reflexes have shown at the weekend where he made two really good saves, especially yeah. the first one that from before that led to the goal afterwards was a really good save where he could stuck his arm out and pushed it away. And, you know, people will say he pushed it back into the, was the same guy, but there's nothing more he could have done there. You know, he kind of, he, he, he had no time to kind of push it aside. But, yeah, I thought he had a good game the weekend, did it? But you'll give him confidence, hopefully. Only yeah. conceding deflected goal and he handled well. So, barring yeah. a rather scrambly corner at the end that was a bit panicky.
1: Yeah, indeed. Um, moving on to the women's game then. I mentioned just now we're going to talk about that, uh, just briefly. We, um, our game was covered live on TV. Um, what was it? Sky. Um, it was a home match. So it was at Crawley against, uh, Man United. I think there was nearly three and a half thousand there. The crowds are going up, which is great. Um, that was commented on by the, uh, by the TV guys, uh, in their coverage. Um, yeah, it's building a good thing. More compliments about the club as a whole. Melissa Phillips is definitely settling into her stride. I think she's, it's going to take time to get her vision across. I think she's she's trying to find out still at this stage what she's got, you know, how best she can use some of the players. She's still finding her feet a bit, but you can see there's progress going on there. They've started to play well. they got two goals in a, I think they bookended a 4-2 defeat at Chelsea with the goals, the last, first and last goals, which is not a bad result really against one of the best teams. Um, incidentally, Emma Hayes apparently is leaving at the end of the season, which is interesting. But anyway, um, that's the USA job I think, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but Melissa is is from the USA herself and I think she's in for the long term. I think she's got some strategies. They were analysing it quite nicely actually. There's a lot of, um, a lot of good um, input from Stephen Warnock on um, the half-time. They were Talking about how they were doing a high press and trying to push Man United to one particular side, United's left or right, uh, and forcing the pressure there because they viewed <coughs> that as being the weaker area for this particular game, and that led to the the press led to a goal, um, which had really well worked—a three or four pass, quick, slick moving, and a, and a convincing finish. Um, and she's adapting tactics within matches, which is obviously a great. Um, attribute to have and a, a great skill and strength to have and i think over time she'll she'll be all right i mean we're fourth bottom we've got four points um but to be honest with you while, while we've struggled in the early weeks to not be on the bottom with some of the results we've had quite happy with that and i think we'll go from strength to strength united are a very good team they've got several internationals of england internationals there ellie toon scored a a brilliant goal in the game. The goalkeeper, of course, um, who we all know, Mary Up, is, uh, is an excellent goalkeeper and she had a very good game, it has to be said. United did have loads of shots and more shots on target, more possession. Um, but we um, we we were unlucky and we were unlucky because, yes, it transfers to the women's game. Bias refereeing in favour of Manchester United against Brighton. Um, I know there was a debate about a possible penalty at the other end. I'm not convinced that was uh, actually a penalty anyway. But um, at United's attacking end of the pitch, we had the ball. Um, player was blatantly fouled. And then the same, same player who committed that offence then gets free reign to then run in, cross, and, and there's a goal. And uh that was back to one all. we seem to have snatched it right near the end with a really well taken set piece cross header into the goal um in I think it was the eighty fourth minute uh they then added seven minutes in stoppage time, and then I think the nearly into the ninth minute of stoppage time they scored. I do think there was enough added time in the added time that actually, I don't think i she had a criticism actually. Melissa about whether that was too much added time but I counted it it was actually I I think they'd given too much but United scored within the amount that they should have added in the added time if that makes sense um so disappointingly 2-2 in the end but still a pretty good result against a very um kind of well-funded and proactive team um thoughts on that guys
3: yeah decent result had a couple of disappointing ones against uh west ham and spurs at home wasn't it um where we possibly didn't quite click and yeah having won at everton first game um but yeah uh gave a good account of chelsea lost I knew lost 4-2 in the end but we are ahead at half time and looking or just before half time and then yeah decent draw against united so hopefully suggests the top corner is being turned and yeah the what of interesting one at the moment of the villa they've lost 5 out of 5 including 6-0 to chelsea the weekend They're after a really good season last year
1: yeah, they were coming in with a really ambitious profile and you, you thought, oh, it's going to be interesting seeing how so they... And their
3: men's team can't do the same.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's annoying, though, isn't it? The United and Villas have jumped on the bandwagon a bit later and seem to have had a, a, sort of like a privileged progression because of the funding that goes behind them. Obviously, you know, that is what it is. But um, it's pretty irritating when much more established clubs, I'm not particularly saying Brighton here, but other clubs um, who've been working on things for longer are kind of potentially getting surpassed. So, you know... In a, in a kind of way, I'm quite pleased to they struggling. I just wish we could have beaten United; that would have been good, because um, they're in the table at the moment. And uh, I think we could have taken them, and it's a shame we didn't quite get there. But good crowd, as I said, and that's that's positive.
2: Um, yeah, Alan. Yeah, no, I, was, I was just going to say about the crowd because I heard it was a it was it was, it was very busy. i was just wondering whether actually the time of the kickoff might be quite good for the ladies' game because it's kind of uh, you know. Sunday, get Sunday lunch out of the way and take take the family to uh, the ladies match a little bit later. But it's hmm. not, you know, it's not. A, it's another time when you can still get home uh, in time for school the following day. I'm not sure whether that has it has, has an impact.
1: Possibly so. Yeah, might be, might be the case. Um, well, just to round off part one, then one, one other bit. I'll just bring it back to the men's game, and just uh, from the weekend, we'll talk about the FA Cup probably at the tail end of the show. But um, in terms of the Premier League, um, Gary O'Neill is he getting another apology? Uh, they they seem to get shafted again. This time to rock bottom Sheffield United, who were gifted their first ever win uh, of this season, two um, one defeat. Uh, Sheffield United winning two one at Bramall Lane. Um, <laughs> It's outrageous, isn't it? Another another poor refereeing performance there. Um, in a way, though, I'm quite pleased Sheffield United got the win because I had the nasty feeling that was coming, not necessarily as a as a as a two-pack, <laughs> maybe just in isolation. And if it wasn't going to be that weekend, it was going to be next weekend. So in a weird sort of way, I feel more confident with us getting the job done against United now, Sheffield United, um, and now they've got that win out of the way. Um, not that I thought they probably deserved it, um, to be honest with you. Uh, a weird weekend, Luton getting a draw with Liverpool, nearly beating them as well. Um, so some, some odd, odd results in general. Um, what do you think?
3: Forest Villa as well.
1: Oh, yes. Um, yeah. I enjoyed that. How one.
3: tough. I and mean, obviously our next away game in the league is Forest. So that's yeah. a tough one. And, and, and in a way, the Liverpool and Forest and different like results show put in the context that actually a point to Everton who have actually, who have improved quite a lot. And as we know, Dyces are kryptonite in a lot of ways is actually a pretty decent result as much as, you know, yeah. I didn't think we played great and I actually don't, yeah, didn't think we deserved anything more, but I also don't think Everton deserved to win because their tactics were so negative and I don't think if you at home play 11 men behind the ball for 90 minutes and have 20% possession, you deserve anything from the game and I don't think in that situation you can complain when it's a reflection as well because you basically are playing so deep, there's so many men behind the ball that... You're leaving yourself open to a deflection because there's so many players who could bounce off. So, and also, I don't like Dice and his tactics anyway. Who does?
1: And I mean, of the, the, the stats 80%, you mentioned it earlier 80% possession, I think is one of the highest in recorded history in the division. Um, Especially for an away team. Yeah. I mean, and um, I think we had something like four times as many passes and completed passes and all that sort of stuff as well. Um, it just shows the dominance in one phase but obviously as I said that that nut to crack thing still being a problem in terms of Sean Dyche. Alan?
2: Yeah I think I I read somewhere that uh, we had 420 passes in the first half 82% possession and that that number of passes was actually a record since Man City against Watford two or three years ago so seasons ago so uh, yeah we keep breaking breaking records. (laughs) We,
1: do, we yeah. do tend to do that, don't we? Well, we're on yeah. the subject of stats, actually. One other one other bit just to bring up. Um, Lewis Dunk, coming. mean, I've quoted I've him a couple of times, his stats um, from this season already, but I've noticed um, that uh, the latest ones, he's now gone, especially because of Rodri having that suspension, he's gone well clear now. He already was top of um, a couple of stats. Most touches... After the Everton game, he's now up to 1,253. Next nearest is Kieran Trippier with 1,080. And then Rodri just behind that, followed by Saliba and Silva, Tiago Silva. Um, and then on by most passes again, Dunk is top with 1,144, uh, which is mad. Rodri, the next nearest, 924, which is at least three games worth behind, interestingly. And then you've got Saliba again, nine eleven. Tiago Silva eight five one, and Kieran Trippier eight hundred. So the same suspects in both categories, which is also interesting. And one other set of stats where I go back to you, Adam, for the last word on that. Um, most fouls won. Jordan Ayew's been there consistently for, I think, a couple of seasons now, with 37. Then you've got James Madison, 29, Bruno G- Dimirash on 26, uh, Bukayo Saka on 24, and Joel Veltman has emerged into the list, also on 24, following the weekend, which is uh, not something mm-hmm. I have to admit that I expected to see amongst the stats, mm-hmm.
2: but um, interesting. Uh, Alan? Yeah, no, I think it's something, when, when you uh, when you disappeared from... On the recording earlier, I was just talking to Peter and I think I was I, I was just talking about, um, you know, the fact that we were passing the ball around a lot, but not really doing a lot with it against Everton. And I think, yeah, you know, when you mentioned the, the dunk statistic, that kind of, you know, for that particular game, if any, an outsider was looking at it and said, well, no wonder he's got so many touches when we're just knocking the ball around at the back so often. So, uh Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, I'd say Van Hecker
3: was also up there as well for that reason, because he had a lot, he had a lot of touches. Um, but yeah, he's looking, I really like the. He's, to me, he, he, despite our defensive frailties, he looks one of the fines of the season. He, you know, I really hope they get a new longer. I'm hoping that the one year deal was based on an extension being triggered by X number of appearances, 20 appearances like that, and that he'll soon be kind of having a longer term contract because he looks a, a real option, really good option at the back. and to be honest, based on the game against uh, Fulham and the, and the weekend, I'd say Webster is now fourth choice. Yeah, I, I, I think I
2: agree with you. I think Webster is is running Which, down the, the pecking order quite a lot. Yeah, but and I think I think, think I think, well, I think leave Heck, in the summer, I imagine. Yeah, I think Van Heck actually was uh, was kind of I think he, he he would he was a little bit reticent, a little bit reticent about uh, signing a new contract as well because I think he was. He was getting concerned at the beginning of the season whether he was actually going to get the game time, but actually, it's uh, it's turning out that he's getting the game time. So
3: yeah, which, which is why yeah. I wonder whether there was a there's a trigger in there at least for another year or yeah. two yeah. once he plays X number of the games, twenty or thirty or something like that. Yeah. Um Yeah, because we we wouldn't have wanted to give him only a one year and not anything else. So hopefully, yeah. there's a. There's a, there's a trigger we can do if we get, if he gave 25, 30 games. And yeah, he and Dunk look the first choice to me with Igor e- as backup and Webster, sadly, probably only being used against maybe teams like Sheffield United or when we've had quite a few games. Cause he, as much as so I like Webster, he does have mistakes in him and he's had a few this year already.
2: Yeah. Igor's, uh, I'm getting, Igor is getting better and better every game.
3: Yeah. And Igor obviously great, has only it? played like five games yes. for us, whereas Webster's played quite a lot. Yeah. Looks oh, very
1: he look he looks great, doesn't he? I mean, maybe the um the uh is it the scolotto song? Um mm. Oh he oh he's massive, you know. You'll never get past Julio. Maybe that works, I don't know. Well, like, if I you think... had to
3: see his really fiery side though, they got him what, eleven yellow cards and two reds last season. Mm. I'm not sure he's got a booking yet, is he? No.
2: Yeah. Mm. Well I, I do actually follow him on the, on on Instagram and all all his Instagram posts seem to be him in the gym with his shirt off. So <laughs> Doing, uh, you know, weights, uh, lots of weights. So he's, he looks, uh, pretty, he's a beast, basically.
3: From, from one yeah. Brazilian, by the way, to another one, um, Jao Pedro called up. Jao, for,
1: Pedro, uh, called,
3: Jao Pedro, sorry. Uh, <laughs> called up for Brazil squad today, which means yeah. that Albion have current Brazil, Argentinian, German, English internationals, which you wouldn't it's necessarily a month. amongst various other, t- other nationalism as well. We've got, but those four stand out as Four of the biggest ones in the world, and yeah, we've got current. Well, I mean, well, once he hopefully Pedro gets a game for them, we'll have current internationals. But all four of those teams, which is incredible, really.
1: Yeah, and also two um, long-term in, in for the long-term Dutch internationals there. In yeah, Rome.
3: that's true. Yeah, Dutch ones. Yeah.
1: Plus, obviously, Veltman uh, has mm-hmm. passed, performed
3: in the uh, Dutch yeah. team as well. But, yes, um... if Van Hecker, he hasn't, he hasn't been in the first-team squad yet for Dutch. He can't I be think... far off if he carries on playing like this for us. I think
1: he's been in a couple of camps, but not, not involved yeah. in the he, he must squad, be getting
3: close, because he's been playing really well for us this season, I think. And he, he looks more confident each game. And I, I think he'll get... The more games he gets, the better he gets. So, I think he'll be in there soon. But Bruggen obviously made his debut in the last set of games, didn't he? So, he did, yes. yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah I mean, these players aren't even like, I mean, except Dunkey and Grosquale, uh, but a lot of them are quite young, like Pedro, like who's in the who's been in, in the Argentinian squad and played for Argentina. And, yeah, like, um yeah, players like that. So it's quite incredible, really. And, yeah, yeah. And you imagine, like, back 10, 10 years or even 7 or 8, 6 or 7 years, We the idea we had what internationals for all those countries.
2: Yeah, it was funny because I was thinking we'd have a Lithuania, a Lithuania international or something like that. Yeah, more <laughs> yeah, not well, we like
3: Australian or whatever when we end up and yeah. that sort of thing. <laughs> but yeah, not like yeah.
1: Hopefully, Modder gets back in the Poland squad once he's up and running as well. Yeah. Um, but I think um, you know, it's, I was I was just thinking the other day. I'm talking to someone about Raul Pedro. But I um, wonder if he'll get overlooked. Whether he'll ever get um, called up. And uh, lo and behold, uh, I think literally about three or four days later, the news arrives. So um, you sure that person wasn't the Brazil squad,
3: like
2: Brazil coach.
1: I was talking to the head of the Brazilian FA at the time.
2: Hopefully, they might improve his <laughs> second touch at the, on the training pitch. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly, yeah, well, well, that's the only thing, isn't it? Is not it? His 1st touch is a bit questionable uh, sometimes, but... and I. Think,
3: Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But what he does do, things happen when he comes on. He it tries happens. things. Absolutely. He doesn't always come off. Yep. He'll, he'll yep. try like little flicks and turns and things that actually in a game like Saturday you need because yeah. I, I think that, I think Deserve's plans were pretty clear from Saturday's ability. Mm. He's targeting Ajax. He, mm. I mean, not playing either Pedro or Fatih from the start. Otherwise, the same with Belabour. I think it was keeping him back. Um, arguably one or two others as well, possibly Lamptey, although obviously he's now injured again. Um, but yeah, I think he was targeting Ajax and he was keeping back arg- arguably our best two attackers recently or definitely our best two attackers recently for that game because otherwise it's inexplicable that they neither of Pedro and Fatty started.
1: Yeah. And um, in terms of uh, we mentioned earlier, the Dutch players, uh, speaking of the Netherlands, uh, it's part two coming up in a moment where we are going to be previewing that big trip away. It's Alan and my first European trip. Peter, you've already been to Marseille. So we we'll... I'm a veteran. You're a veteran by now. I'm talking <laughs> into Athens, which I'm not as well. But, um, but anyway, we'll be previewing the big preview of the Ajax game coming up in part two. We will be doing a, um, a Europa away trip special i don't know what we're going to call it exactly Uh, it won't be a match day special it'll be over the three days but um we'll have that coming up as our next episode but um the next part of this episode will be the preview of that match Okay, so part two, we are now delighted to be joined by Michael Statham, who is a Dutch football expert. He's not Dutch, but he is a Dutch football expert. <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Michael. How are you?
4: Thanks for having me. Yeah, football Daniel is what we do, Dutch football in English language.
1: Yeah. And in fact, I should say welcome back, because we did have you on, I think, about three years ago. Because we, yeah, yeah. we about Veltman, weren't we? Because we'd signed... Um, Joel Feltman, and you were saying about how you were a bit sceptical about the whole notion yeah. of him being played as a right back, because you'd seen him playing mainly as a as a centre back. And it's been interesting that I kind of almost forgotten that, uh, because he's been playing predominantly as a right back for us when he's played. And uh he's settled in well. I think he's he's done certainly as well as any of us could have hoped, and turned out to be a really good bargain. I think He's
3: probably one of the best value signings we've ever made, isn't he? Nine hundred thousand pounds and be. He, be he he rarely goes below seven out of ten, Beltman. He's been yeah. brilliant for us.
1: And um, we were just saying in the in the end of the last part that he's uh he's just emerged in the most fouled top uh, top five most fouled players <laughs> in the Premier League, which I did not see coming. I have to say, um, but what have, what have you made of him first of all? Now that he's been in the prem for a while, um, thoughts on that?
4: So, firstly, I'd say when he was on with the Dutch national team a lot and with Ajax winning some leagues in what was a poor area of his year at the time, um, the leagues moved on a lot. I think since then, he he didn't. He didn't stand out a lot because he would have defensive errors in the games and he was getting to sort of mid 20s. You know, like he wanted to kick on and really like prove what a young talent he was and the potential he had to go on and make that big move. He didn't show that when he was with Ajax, but I always felt like when he was at centre back, he'd be able to be really good on the ball, um, but was never physically big enough. So then playing at right back after he had a couple of big injuries in his career, coming in at right back seemed to suit see him a little better, but still the same. Errors were there. And I, I'm all I can say is well done to the guy. And he's gone on and flourished with Brighton. It's really suited him. Not being at the top of the Premier League, he's been able to build up with Brighton bit by bit through his years. And um he's definitely suited to a full back role, isn't he? Right back, I think. Um yeah, I, I think he's had a good career since then and well done to him.
1: Yeah, we've had a, a bit of a tradition with Dutch players uh, playing for us. I mean, way back when we had Hans Kray, that's that's, that's going back a fair few years. Michel Kuypers, who was a goalkeeper and stalwart for us for quite a while in the southern middle divisions for a while. And uh, more recently, and probably not so notably, Danny Holler, although there's a brilliant song we had for him. Um, I can't remember the words. It was quite amusing about... um getting up to stuff in Amsterdam (laughs) and uh, Roland Bergkamp, who I think was um, Dennis's nephew, um, not the most illustrious um, Dutch players, but certainly Joel Veltman has uh, transformed things back in the right direction on that, in that form. And it's the three V's because we've now got uh, Van Hecker, who we signed as a young player and we've brought on, loaned out and has now made his way into the first team. And of course, most recently we signed in the summer Bart Verbruggen, who has been rated as one of the best young goalkeepers around. Um, so tell us about uh, what your impressions are of them, um, both in terms of what you already knew and what you've thought since they've uh, got into the Albion first team.
4: Sure. So when they were all signed, I was most enthusiastic about Verbrucker and I was m- least enthusiastic about Van Hecker at the time because I thought when Brighton were developing, there wouldn't be that place for him. Mm. And then I saw how brilliant he got on against Haaland's last season. And I was like, oh, wow, OK, he has arrived. <laughs> And he's kicked on a lot. Everything that moves to the championship helped him after being with Head and Vein. Um, that's, that's done him a lot of good. Because mm-hmm. he's then been able to add that physical side to his game. I was fortunate enough to interview them for football, Dania, and the three of them together. And they're such great company. Like They, they are three completely different characters. You've got Veltman, who's like that wiser head, isn't he? He's always got a pers- the right perspective, the right thing to say, I feel like, who brings that sort of side to it. Then you've got Vabroker, who's really eloquent. His English is amazing. Like you think he went to private school or something, or like an English school. Um, and, and he's 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 really um, intelligent. And I can see that people might not realise just how young he is, and how young he is for a goalkeeper in particular. Like he will go on and have a very very good career. Uh, he's like the Netherlands number one as well at the moment, with a bit of inconsistency, albeit there, with who is the first choice, but he's actually really liked by um, Dutch football fans and people will think that he is the answer now. Justin Bilo's is a final goalkeeper. He's who he's up against and Bailo is a really good goalkeeper. And finally, you've got Van Hecker who just seems like an absolute barrel of laughs, doesn't he? He's an absolute prankster. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really, really like him and he's a complete different character against the other two. But together, they seem to all really get on. And I think that sums up the Brighton dressing room at the minute. You've got a lot of different people from all around the world and they really get on as a team, don't they? Uh, but no more so I think than those three who are going to absolutely love playing in Amsterdam
1: yeah and of course we've got this huge game coming up and guys feel free to chip in with any questions um, in terms of the Ajax game obviously we've got got the win in the last match uh, a vital win for us our first one our first ever win in Europe um, which is great and um, now we've got to step on we want to try and do the double over Ajax purely to get those extra points on the board which will more or less guarantee us I think at least some kind of continuation of of involvement in Europe this season Um, it's going to be interesting to see there's been a couple of twists since we last played them um, obviously you've got the interim managers coming. They have finally got those first wins, haven't they? Back to back, I think. And as I understand it, they had a game abandoned very late in the match when they were 3-2 up, which is yet to be completed. I think I'm right to say, in which obviously it looks like they're going to win that game as well. So it's, got, it's looking like they're moving, drifting casually into mid table now. Um, mm. I must admit, I didn't think they looked great when we played them. I felt we were in second gear in the game, to be honest. And, um, that boded well for this other fixture. But do we need to get more nervous here, Michael? Are they, are they significantly improving since we last played them a couple of weeks
4: ago? Yes and yes. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think this could be a really good game. I was just doing my own podcast, my own show previewing the game and I went for, I mean, you might want to talk about the predictions later, more, more detail, but I, I thought a 2-2, but I do think Brighton do have that quality. They do have the goals. I, I think they should win in Amsterdam, but I do think this is going to be a lot more of an exciting game. Why? Mm. Because they do have tons of quality. I do think with the wins are going to pick up now. Ajax will climb up to probably fifth place in the league come the end of the season. Um, now we're a third away through the campaign. The league's really settling into a pattern. They're not going to catch it with that top four. But they mm. are going to pick up lots of wins now, between now and Christmas. Against teams that are in this mid-table positions, Feyenoord, um beat them in Amsterdam. PSV beat them heavily. Uh, are beating them in Amsterdam 2-1. They've played away at Utrecht, 4-3. That was an extraordinary game. So it's like they've got all the tough fixtures out of the way and now they're playing some teams low down the league. So they will push up. Mm-hmm. But their two wins against Volendam and Vane for me, back-to-back in Amsterdam, within three days, that has really turned their confidence. John Van Netskip has, of course, coming, as you said, as the new manager. And I think he's got the team a bit close together. There's a lot more stability, predictability in the way they're playing. It's a lot more... Some of Ajax, but they're also not afraid to use a long ball, I'm noticing, using the wide areas. Brian Bromby's that big striker up front. And I just think this has a different complexion about it entirely now. I was fully expecting Brighton to wipe the floor with Ajax. Like you said, second gear, so it was a 2-0 win. Brighton didn't really care how they got the three points really that evening. They just wanted to get that first win in Europe, didn't they? Now this is a much more exciting game. So I think Brighton will also go up in their gears, Um, but it will make for a really good game. Yeah.
1: Well, I know Alan and Peter both wanted to come in on that. I don't know if um, Alan, your point was going to be to do what's just been said, or whether Peter, who wants to go first?
2: Yeah, I I think you you did cover some of what I was going to ask and and say myself. But I I saw the headline of the four-one win that they had just recently. I mean, have they changed? Has the manager changed uh, personnel, um, or is it just a case of just getting the players a little bit more motivated and making a few tweaks to the?
4: That's a great question. Yeah, there definitely have been some personal changes. Um, a couple forced, such as the goalkeeper, Ramayzat to come in. Um, some have stayed the same. I mean, Sitalo and Hato the two centre-backs have played lots of this season, um, but still need that consistency, need to play together some more. So there is that, that kind of relationship trying to be built there. Um, the most interesting ones have been, first of all, at left-back, they've decided to play their young winger Who's never really played for the first team before, left winger at left back, <laughs> and it's made for some interesting results. He's playing so high up the pitch, uh, not really defensive at all, and him linking up with St- Stephen Berghofine down the left has been magical. So it's already Vanek Skipper's done something tactically that's worked, and I, I, would he have the bravery to play Marta against Brighton? I think he will, and I think you'll you'll see a bit of a. It'll line up as a 4-3-3, but I think that back three will be Harto, Sitalo and Guy moving across and Marto will push really out of the pitch. It's going to make an interesting dynamic with Brighton's wingers. How are they going to match up to that? Like, Are they going to be forcing them back or will they not be able to get us forward? And maybe we're going to get a bit exposed down those wide areas. Um, and in terms of other changes, Stephen Berghaus has come back. He seems to be fully fit now. Um, and Christian Hlinson is an Icelandic attacking midfielder, again, from the academy hmm. and looks really, really good. He looks, yeah, he looks really good, damn good. Yeah.
1: Um, guy, I think it's Guy who was playing right back, is that right, in the last game? Yes. Uh, he, he impressed me, actually. I thought he was he had a pretty solid game. He did all he could, really. You know, they're overawed a bit, but I think he did quite well there. Um, but yeah, yeah, he, lo- he looks a good prospect as well. But yeah, you're right, the, the, other, the other guy, the striker, looks... Um, he looks a real tasty number
4: and we uh, will have to watch out for him. I wonder. I think it sounds like he might start this game as well. All right. yeah. yeah, I, I think yeah. it's going to be unchanged. They've, they've had two games where they've had the same 11 and he just, I, I, I think that the phrase, the phrase is never change a winning team. And even the Dutch say that in the Netherlands, they say it in English and they sound very Dutch when they say it. The, <laughs> the, but the motto rings true for what they're trying to do at the minute, just win games. They have not won games this season at all. They've won once in the league until the last two wins just now. So this is this is a, this is a change I don't think they'll be exhausted. They've had from Sunday off that, that'll that be fine. But I think in time, yes, they will have to make some change. At the minute, just bedding in this starting eleven with young players there, um, people in just because of injury, but also quality players like Sutalo, who's meant to be a brilliant centre back, hasn't been so far this season, just finding form and confidence. So yeah, that's that's why I think there'll be no change. It's quite a predictable lineup. I could be surprised. But again, I think Brankov and the Bowman plays midfield next to Kenneth Taylor. I think that will stay the same. Um, People will come off the bench. Chuba Akpom probably will come off the bench. Scored some goals off the bench in the last couple of games. So I think he'll come off the bench again and I think he's going to have an impact as well.
1: Cool. We had him on loan <laughs> briefly at one point. He did. <laughs> Could come back to haunt us. Uh, Peter? yeah, you want us to come in as well. Yeah, I was, just, I was just going to
3: ask what's happened to Ajax, I suppose. I mean, from the outside, obviously, I mean, they're the biggest club in the group by a distance, probably. You know, even, I mean, I like must have won the Euro- European Cup, but Ajax are huge. And... You look at. I looked at that team two weeks ago, and they just didn't seem interested, no. and they didn't seem to know what tactics they were playing. They, once they couldn't sit deep, but even at two nil, they weren't pressing. They weren't trying to win the ball back to try and get a goal. Ten minutes left. You think, well, if you get a goal at this point, two one, it's a you know, it's a tricky finish. You know, Brighton. Brighton are holding on. It's a big game for us. Maybe we make a mistake, but they didn't seem to press. The way we played second half was like a training exercise. We didn't even get pressed on the ball at all. We just passed it round and. They just didn't look interested, and it's like I, you wonder what happened to them. What when, and how it is that he's turned it around so quickly that they've won
1: too.
4: Yeah, the thing that surprises me the most is how quickly that's turned around. And this Brighton game is a good test, just about how how far they've come, how it's gone from one thing to another. Like <laughs> it all started, I think, when their backroom team started to fall apart. So Mark, Mark Overmars had to leave. Inappropriate behaviour was what was stated by the club. Emmy um, Van Der Sar left in, in the summer as well. Obviously, he's had poor health himself. Eriksen Harg went to Manchester United, but Ajax seemed to have the right idea in the in the, the backroom team to keep it alive, to keep the money coming into the club with selling their younger players and spending it on players like Tucson Tadic, Sebastian Allaire, who were from the Premier League, that are really good players and can shine in a team like Ajax. You can get the best out of them. So they were able to do that for a number of years. And then it just fell apart completely because players just left, and this happened two summers in a row, and that's highly damaging, of course. So with two halves of teams just eradicated over the past two summers, you're not left with very much. Players haven't really settled from those couple of seasons before. I think there's been poor scouting. They had a new director of football come in about April last uh, this year, April this year, and he got the sack because of some really odd behaviour before the final game, which they lost 4-0, just unsettling the team. He basically assembled a bunch of players that were really good players on paper, but I don't know how he thought they'd play together. Like He signed Tuber at POM, expecting that he would be the first choice striker for Ajax, I guess. Hmm. Um, but then, why? Because they've already got a striker there, Broby, who is the first choice, and spent a lot of money on. And then another Georgian young striker he you might be aware of, who's doing really good for Georgia national team. And just isn't getting a game. So why have they signed three strike two strikers? So they have three that all should really be stuck. Just there's no thought about it. So the scouting was, was, was good, but knowing no real idea about what the final outcome would look like. They've had some flops as well over the years. Yeah. One thing led to another. And then this season, Morris Stein, the manager, not good. And yeah, confidence is a massive thing in football, isn't it? So even the team that finished third in the league last season, um, they're fallen apart again. And it just became that they they ended up at the bottom of the table at one point. But now, new manager, I think confidence come back. Their qualities there, they're the most expensively assembled team in the whole of the league. So they're going to have to have a bit bit of a comeback. Um, I just don't think it's going to be quite still what people expect from Ajax at the start of the season or the season before. This Ajax team has gone a long way backwards.
1: Yeah. And uh,
2: I mean, uh, yeah, sorry, Alan. Yeah, go, go for it.
4: Yeah, I was just—I was curious about a couple of uh,
2: out, outgoings from last season or, 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 or a couple of seasons. You've obviously—I was one. I was interested in know what the opinion of the IX fans of how Den, Ten Hag's doing at Manchester United. Yeah. And also, um, you know, uh, there was a lot of rumours going around that we were interested in Kudos. Um, yeah. And I'm not sure how true that was. You know. There's lots of those kind of rumours go around. He obviously went to West Ham and, and he's doing quite well there. I think he's becoming a little bit of a, a cult hero at West Ham. I'm just interested in what, <laughs> what the views there were of, of, of the Ajax fans.
4: Well, Ten Hag, first of all, I think they take him back in a heartbeat. That's for sure. Uh, given my own perspective on it as a Dutch football fan, I, I've done a couple of Manchester United shows recently where I've talked about Ten Hag and I think I think he's lost a bit of the authority that he gained when he first came in. Cause he's quite a big, strict character. I expect players have even talked about that before. And then going to United, he's won the respect of the dressing room. But with this, how this season's gone, he's sort of losing that because his tactics aren't, aren't working, are they? Is it the players? Is it his tactics? Maybe the players feel like it's that. They're not able to be professional enough to be at 100% to overlook that, but that extra effort. So then the effort starts to go. And then it's a bit of a vicious cycle, I think, for United. So where do they go from here? I think Ten Hag is going to stay and sort it out, but I just don't think he's going to get that style of play that he's big about and was famous for with creating space. That's just, it seems a bit of a back burner idea at the moment. But he was so good at that with Ajax, and I do think he's a very good coach. I think if the Netherlands job ever comes up one day, I think Ten Hag is a prime candidate for that if he struggles with United so much that he gets a sack. So not much respect that we lost for him in the Netherlands. As for Kudus, from what I understand, it was true with Brighton. And Kudus himself turned the club down. Um, the reasons why, now this part I'm not so clear on, but I'm led to believe it's because he, I know he's on my Brighton podcast. I don't think he liked the size of the club. I think he's one of those players that wants to go right to the top he ended up at West Ham. The only thing I could think that appealed to him was bigger fan base, bigger stadium. I, I don't know, but it doesn't seem like the right move when you consider his reasons there for Brighton. They're in the same competition in the Europa League. Brighton are on the way up. They're higher at the table than West Ham. They're a more attractive um, a preposition to join now. Maybe West Ham just offer more money. The exact reasons I, can't, I cannot comment on too much, but I do know that he was quite vocal about Brighton um, and bits did come out in the media sort of little quotes about what his opinion was Um mm. and to be honest it sounds like a bit of a dodge bullet for, for you guys if you're going to have a player like that you don't really want someone mm. who has opinions like that oh right? absolutely
3: yeah we don't want someone who's basically judged the club by what fan base and, and history and that sort of thing rather than actual yeah. how they could fit in now
1: yeah,
3: yeah.
1: yeah. exactly and um on, on the matter of um, Ten Hag yeah I mean I think well, ironically, he's, he's in a situation at Man United which is probably not dissimilar to what's happening now at Ajax in terms of lack of focus and difficulties behind the scenes. It's always difficult for, I think, a, a coach or manager to flourish in those circumstances. So, yeah, I mean, may, maybe it's not the right time for him. I rate him. I think he's a great coach. Um, yeah but for some reason it doesn't seem to be clicking part of that is just the disruption behind the scenes and again recruitment focus is a bit weird and wayward isn't it i'm not impressed with some of man signings to but uh but yeah who who knows it's it's a strange one i was going to say my my final question on uh, on ajax is um in terms of the other dutch fans i mean i'm presuming they're all loving this aren't they what's been happening so far this season
4: definitely yeah they're a, they're absolutely off in stockham and everlands People on the outside look in and go, oh, poor Ajax, historical yeah. club, loved it when they were doing so well. And <laughs> I can tell you it's totally opposite. It is like a clown a clown show, circus. It would be like, I imagine you, you can imagine what Manchester United would be like if they were bottom of the table. People would just be ripping, ripping out of the, jokes out of them all of the time. And that's what happens to having happen the Ajax. Anything that gets posted on social media, People are making jokes, um people laugh at reactions to everything, yeah, yeah, you can imagine memes galore <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, and yeah, I mean that's 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 mad isn't it it's a mad situation, but um it's going to be interesting I mean we're really proud of the fact we 've got a result against this club. I know the circumstances are. A certain way at the moment but when we look back on this it'll be oh yeah our first game against Ajax 2-0 love that Um, we're hoping we can do the double that'll be even better it's, as you've alluded to it's going to be a bit tougher than we might have thought i' uh, the say it full time on the uh, week before last Um in terms of what, what we can expect obviously it's going to be a tougher game it's going to be an entertaining game Um in terms of the actual visit I'm presuming you've been over there to, to that, that venue and you know what it's like on a match day what can we expect as fans
4: so I won't be going there this week, but I have been to Ajax before, been to the, the stadium. Um, so I would say Ajax are up there with the best fans of the Netherlands. I think there are one or two more raucous stadiums there. Um, I think there's a bit more of a family in parts of the stadium, if you know what I'm saying. However, yeah, there is a very vocal, very vociferous part of, of the stadium. If you look, I mean, you'll see it on, on the TV sometimes. But it's sort all of right, the right side is that it's behind one of the goals. Um if if let's say we'll come on the same side the players were, where the where the press box and manager sit, it's on the right side. That's where all the, the home fans are. And yeah, you have you smoke, you have your atmosphere, probably your banners and we'll sing very loudly, especially after the half half time music, if you aren't aware of what the half tip halftime tune is. Every oh, little thing. Three little birds. Then be, yeah, three little yeah. birds. <laughs> they yeah. they love that. Um they're, they're, they're a great support. I know that every fan base has got their ultras in Europe, you could say in the Netherlands, it's no different um, Ajax fans, yeah, they're, they're well known I think Brighton fans will be safe, I mean of course RZ fans didn't make West Ham or Legge Warsaw feel very safe um, but I know Ajax probably won't be quite like that, I think fans will have a really good time, if they're going to Amsterdam enjoy it.
1: Yeah, they've all been before, but it's not to the, uh, the ground obviously so it's yeah. uh... We're really looking forward to it. It's going to be a good, a great Lovely trip. Grand. Um, Michael, before we round off, um, one thing I, we probably asked it when you came on before, but just to, out of interest, why Dutch football? What got you particularly into that that particular country's football originally?
4: So I'm also an Aston Villa fan, and when Wilfred Baumer, who was our left back at the time, he was my favourite player. Bit of a childhood thing, um, but then he went for the bats Netherlands after having his bad injuries. Um play for PSV, I was really interested, so I watched a little bit and then just really enjoyed the league, full of goals. It's just it's just fun watching like young players come through that like 19, 20, whatever, make a name for themselves and just just coming out of nowhere and developing within one season to be an incredible player. And then just seeing if they'll sink or swim, going to another country, are they the real deal or are they not? I think there's there's so many little subplots within the Netherlands you can enjoy there's the growing of a league itself. It's gone from being like the 15th best league in Europe up to being the sixth best league in Europe now. So it's a growing league. I think people need to get a bit more time. Sometimes in the UK, you can watch it on MOLA, which is an app you can get on your phone. It's on the computer as well. If you sign up for free, you get to watch four games a week live. You can watch the highlights, which is great. So I think there's a lot to love about the league. Always entertaining. There can be some dodgy defending sometimes, but that makes it great fun. Um, I and mean, yeah, I've just got into it and one thing that's another now, ten years later, I've been doing this kind of stuff for ten years. Ah <laughs> So yeah, love it. Brilliant. And
1: you're UK based, presumably are you, and just yeah. go over to games when you can. Is that it? Yeah, I go
4: to games when I can. I went to the RZ against Villa match. Really love that. Um do do bits and pieces when we when we can. Um yeah.
1: Okay, love it. And just to finish off, plug plug your uh, your show. So you, you mentioned it before. Um, what's it called and, and how can people find it?
4: Brilliant, thanks. So Football Aranya is the name of our show, uh, or website. We do like all the match reports of all the Eredivisie games. We follow the Netherlands national team extensively as well on what we do. So it's sort of two sides, what we do, the league and then the national team. Um, we do podcasts and interviews with players. Like I said, the three Brighton players are there. Uh, that's on our YouTube channel, so that sort of sits there. But like I said, most of what we do is the website, on our Twitter, X. And um, you can spell it, so it's football in English, and then orange, but replace a G with a J, football at Anya. Yeah, we're on all, all different social media platforms, but those are the main places. And on Twitter, I'm at Eredivisie Mike, which was a bit of a brave move, calling myself the league in there. <laughs> but it seems so worked <laughs> out, so.
1: not to pick yourself up at all, no.
4: <laughs> no, 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 but I do watch too much of a league, and I'm a bit of a nerd I mean, all so
1: fantastic that's, that's, that's great to hear well thanks very much for joining us again it's good to get you back on and um hopefully we'll have some more exciting uh discussions to have maybe if we progress through and play one of the other dutch teams or you know other other dutch signings coming up we shall certainly get back in touch with you um, But it's been great to have you on so thanks for joining us michael
4: thank you
2: cheers
1: Yes, yeah, so thanks very much there to Michael Statham for joining us uh, to talk about the uh, the big game coming up midweek uh, when the Albion go to the Amsterdam Arena. Would you believe? I can't wait for it. Anyway, uh, third and final part, and it's a very brief one. We're just going to quickly summarise the the rest of the football from the weekends, namely the FA Cup, and we've got to start with one of the most preposterous football scores of all time. The game finished Swindon Town. Uh, four, Aldershot Town seven, Swindon of League two, Aldershot of the National League, um, Prem, who are up mid-table, I think, and actually doing quite well now this season. They have Lauren Tolai in their team, a former Albion youth player who used to score goals for fun, had an injury, don't know what happened after that, but he ended up getting released. And he scored the fourth and sixth goals as they Bounded their way to to a seven nil lead, four nil at half time, seven nil during the second half. A great goals from Tali, by the way. He Drilled one in with his left foot, and then and then ab- cracked in an absolute beauty of a volley with his right foot into the top corner. Um, so fantastic there, um, Alan. You wanted to come in straight away on this.
2: No, I was just going to butt in and say that I actually live, live quite close to Aldershot. Um, I must go down there and uh, take a look. I've, I've been there a few times, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I need to get down there again.
1: That's actually one of the grounds I've not ticked off yet, so I don't I do oh, need to get down there, actually. I'll, um, take,
2: I'll take you down there. You? You can go and,
1: go and a night out in, or a day out in order shop. What could yeah. be better? <laughs> <laughs> but what, what a game that was. I mean, that, that was a record. Um, it's the highest number of goals scored by a non-league team against a league team in FA Cup history. So <laughs> that's quite an extraordinary start to, uh, to the weekend summary. Um, we've got... Peter, yeah? I
3: was going to say, shout out to the three eighth-tier teams. Um, yeah. Bracknell... Got, went close against Cambridge, only lost 2-1, which was, to be fair, pretty good. Um, Ramsgate beat Woking 2-1 and are in the third round, oh, the, the second round it, as well. And, uh, and yeah, Cray Valley Paper Mill got a fantastic draw at Charlton, which is an incredible result and thoroughly deserved. They, they were really good second half, I thought. And um, know, you just, were there, weren't it? I, I didn't in the end, no, because oh, um, um, oh. he wasn't very well, so I couldn't make it in the end, but I watched the second half on TV and, uh, but just to say, their their FA Cup run started on the 19th of August away at Lordswood, where they drew one all before beating them in a replay. They've since also beaten Uxbridge,
1: Northwood. That was a replay again then, Yeah, in a
3: replay again. Uh, then the third round, they beat Carl Shulton also in a replay. Then they beat Enfield, and now they've drawn at Charlton. And I'm this weekend, saying- they were supposed to be playing at home to Ballam if they <laughs> hadn't played at Charlton. <laughs> So what an achievement them. for them and the yeah. and the assist for the goal came from of all the people, Kevin Lisby's son, yeah. um, which was a, a nice league of Charlton, which I hadn't realised is that he played for Cray Valley as well, Kevin Lisby himself for a while. Yeah. It was a proper oh, old school yeah. Chelsea reunion because um Carl Eburn's son was played for Chelton as well. So it's yeah. a proper old old fashioned Chelton strikers like son's oh, yeah, reunion. Listen-
1: this son, I think his name's Corel, and um, actually made his debut as a 16 year old coming off the bench, replacing his dad to make his debut as well at, at Cray Valley. Yeah. So incredible story. Yeah. Um, um
3: yeah. well done uh, to them though. That's a, a hell of an achievement. Five divisions uh, apart. That is a, yeah. you know, phenomenal
1: one all draw and they've got a replay. So they've got what the 10th game of their campaign already. Yeah, and I think
3: they, I think they've got like 14, 15 games between now and like New Year's Day, which I mean, we complain about fixture congestion, but.
1: Yeah, they've only played five league games, I think, because yeah. of the cup run. Well, I think mad. all
3: three of them at that level have pretty much five or six. Yeah. Ramsgate and uh, Bracknell as well. Yeah. I mean,
2: yeah, yeah it's uh, is it right? Is it right they, they've uh, drawn Gillingham, or, or rather Charlton, or, yeah. or or um,
1: away, away, like, away yeah, which is, Uh
2: If you like a, a North Kent, stroke, South East London derby, yeah, it's
1: quite a local one again, <laughs> yeah. isn't it?
3: Yeah, yeah so, I mean, now to be honest, if there were rewards, Gillingham away, do you really want it?
1: <laughs> also, just, just to say, Cray Valley Paper Mills took two thousand fans to the valley as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's loads of people that go for a one-off, but uh, nonetheless, that's a superb following as well. I like yeah,
3: 150 they're... is their average crowd. So, yeah,
1: green and black they play in. I like those colours.
3: Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I was very. I thought they deserved it as well. They they played really well second half, yeah. especially, and uh, looked actually for a while on top. Yeah, to start the second half. Yeah,
2: yeah. They team t- <laughs> t- look good on paper.
3: <laughs> that, that was a run-of-the-mill joke there Alan wasn't it
2: <laughs> oh
1: no that's that's just terrible I wish we yeah. could just rub that out but uh it wasn't written <laughs> <really> pencil. Uh, <laughs> yeah um so uh elsewhere well there was also I mean there was another giant killing which it doesn't feel like it because they're they're a of some team that are steaming their way back towards the league but Chesterfield got a 1-0 win at home to Portsmouth, um, both teams top of their respective divisions. Chesterfield National League, Prem, Portsmouth, the highest-ranking team in the tournament, as it, st- as it stands, at top of League One. A wonder when. win. I'm delighted with that. Always good to see Portsmouth knocked out of the FA Cup. Um, Chesterfield, um, through, to obviously, to the next round. Peter, sorry, yep.
3: I was going to say, also, Grimsby, fresh from getting to the quarterfinals last year, were actually 15 minutes away from losing at Slough, um, yeah. with a brilliant goal from Slough's player-manager. What Jackson Davis. Davies. Yeah. Uh kick. yeah. So he, he was uh Scott Davies, who's their player manager, scored a really good free kick, won the goals of the round to put yeah. Sal ahead and they they held on till fifteen minutes from time to yeah. uh get close. I mean, yeah, Grimsby got to the quarterfinals last year, but we're all we're close to getting knocked out and probably we'll win the replay now, but
1: yeah, so Lyle's, got, Lyle's got a nice ground. I've been there this season to see a Worthing game and ended up on that COCOMS scenario. But um, but actually, they're, they're, I don't know what it is, but on Match of the Day, I think it was, um, I've forgotten his name, the presenter, but on Match of the Day's FA Cup highlights, they alluded to um a really interesting backstory. He'd had a lot of problems, the manager as well. Um, I don't know, some sort of personal issues. And I think he actually gave up the game, but then came back into it. And then he was quite happy to just to stay at that level. He doesn't want to play above that level, so he's quite enjoying playing what is basically National League South. Um, and I was impressed with them when they they played Worthing. Worthing actually won it four one. But I thought Slough were, were a decent side. A bit unlucky to lose so heavily that day. And I think they're in lower mid table. Um, But yeah, it's good. Whatever that backstory is, and um, to come back from whatever troubles and hardships he might have had, and uh, the manager, it's a great story for him to be the man to. To get what, um, unfortunately should have been a winning goal, but at least it was a significant goal in, in matters. Um, speaking of wording, unfortunately, their, their runs come to the end. First time in 25 years at this level, but they lost a game against, well, equal opposition. And I think it was quite an even game. Two nil defeat in the end to Alfred, Town. Um, and, um, Horsham on the other hand, though, another Sussex side, absolutely brilliant. They went, um, one nil down 2-1 up 3-2 down and then got a late equaliser a bit of a cracker as well um to get a three all draw didn't they peter um i've gone blank who were they playing Barnsley, Barnsley that was it what a result Barnsley, a yeah and
3: it, and it was really annoyingly moved to friday night by south yorkshire police for some unknown reason that they just didn't really fancy working saturday or something so um yeah fewer fewer horsham fans could go than would have hoped to go so, yeah, great results also, and to yeah. take them back and Barnsley won't fancy that it's a bit of a trek down in November, you know it, they probably won't fancy kind of a Tuesday night in Horsham, whatever, so hopefully, although to be fair, Horsham's ground is actually a bit nice, probably they want they probably want a crappy old ground really, don't they, but their from memory their pitch was quite nice, and their the ground was all quite not, quite nice and modern. They probably um, want it to be really disheveled and run down and kind and of what's
1: the name of that beer we like again peter
3: uh uh Thank Spanky McDankey,
1: Spanky McDankey, that's it. That was a yeah, good. I don't,
3: I don't think the Barnsley players will be drinking that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Any other great stories from the FA Cup? Briefly, uh,
3: think- you know, nothing huge. I don't think, other than other than that, we've missed a few kind of teams winning from division above, sort of thing, but nothing massive. Yeah. But yeah, there's not. I don't think there's an all non-league g- game in the next round. So, um, but hopefully, we won a two giant killings to bring a non-league side into the, the third round. Proper, and we'll be yeah. In, in three weeks' time, is it? We'll be in. We'll know who we've got. Three weeks, four weeks'
1: time. Ramsgate away, maybe. <laughs> Quite fancy. <laughs> a, who a
3: did I Ramsgate
1: get? To... Yeah, I can't remember. Um, I can't remember either. To be honest, I think they got an away game. Most of the most of them did get away games. I think two thirds of them did. But anyway, but no, fancy Wimbledon, possibly. Oh yeah, it might be Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah,
2: Alan. Yeah, we could be being up to a pulp by um, Ray Valley.
1: Stop it now. It, it is it is <laughs> God. Oh, uh he's he's on paper thin ground, isn't he, with these puns. They're just dreadful. <laughs> oh dear. The whole the whole podcast has come to a halt. You could say it's gone stationary. But um anyway, let's stop there before we go any further. Um it's this is really painful now. <laughs> so no, that that was um, a good weekend of um of FA Cup action, disappointed result for the Albion, disappointed result, but also a good result for the Albion women. Um and uh, we move on, We're on to the next week. We've got Ajax, of course. So that will be our next one, a special midweek special from Amsterdam. And then, of course, we've got Sheffield United at the weekend, for which we'll probably do a review pod sometime afterwards. So thank you for joining us. Thank you to Michael Statham for joining us earlier on as well. And we'll c- conclude in the usual way, Peter, by saying stand or fall.
3: Up the Albion.
4: Sports Social Podcast Network.